How are you? You doing well? Man, it is such an honor to be at this amazing church. Uh, can I just say, for years and years, I have been hearing about this awesome church, your pastor, his sons in the ministry, just the legacy and the impact of this incredible church. You know that, right? You know you get to be a part of one of the greatest churches on the planet right now, that you guys are a part of that. And um, the only problem I've had with your church for years is that you've never invited me. And so finally, that can be taken off the plate. But uh, <laughs> it's so good to be back. I mean, to, not, there you go. That was prophetic. That's for next time. It's so good to get to come and to open God's word with you. If you, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John 3.16. Anybody already memorized John 3.16 on all of our campuses? Cool. For the rest of you, uh, it's in John. It's right after John 3.15. All right. So go ahead and get your Bibles. Let's go there. Uh, it's a really, really simple text. It's the Bible in a nutshell. But I'd like to present it to you around a statement that I think will uh, connect to what we're doing today in, in, as we celebrate baptism. Baptism is just this public profession of faith. And so um, I'd like to just kind of build John 3.16 as the platform of my time with you around a statement that kind of connects us with the visual uh, of baptism. I I'll tell you, I'll, I'll explain what that, what that means. Let me read you this statement. Genuine convictions Genuine conviction. You know what I mean when I say genuine convictions? Not fabricated ones like where like um, there's this girl in your office and she's really pretty and she happens to be the one Virginia Tech fan. And so you pretend like you're a Virginia Tech fan so you can, that's not a genuine conviction. All right, that's a, that's a fabricated one. Or, or you know, like uh, you get caught in something and all of a sudden you, you have that conviction post getting caught. Genuine convictions, real convictions. Wholehearted convictions, those that, that, that really cost you something, those that really were paid for and then you really embraced. Genuine convictions by God, genuine convictions by God will lead to public professions for God. Now let's put that towards the gospel. That God so loves the world that he gives his one and only son and those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Anybody with me that that is reality, that you have a genuine conviction that God so loved you that he gave his one and only son for you and you believed in him and now you do not perish but have eternal life. Anybody with me on that? If that is true about you, amen. If that is true about you as a genuine conviction inwardly, then that's going to be put on display eventually out of the pores and the circumstances of your life. That's what I really love about Baptism Sunday. I mean, just in the last few services that we've had together uh, already, I've just seen people of all ages, the God so loves the world part. I mean, we're talking about black people and white people and in-between people, all right? And we're talking about, like, rich people, because I, I could tell by their hair, like, ooh, she's about to get a $200 haircut wet, you know, and, and, and poor people, you know? And I could tell, like, right in the middle was, was young people. We had, we had a senior citizen, and then right after the senior citizen, we had a senior in high school. And they all got baptized in the same moment. And so it reminds you that God loves the world, the world, so much that he gave. He gave. And that inward gift of salvation that we receive, right, the gift of Jesus, then all of a sudden is put on display in baptism. 
I love how baptism is a public profession of an inward conviction. Isn't that a beautiful thing that we get to do? That's what worship is, by the way. When we, we, we get together, and that's, that's another form of worship, and we begin to strike up a band, like it says in the Psalms, and we sing to God, we are saying, God, I am convinced that this is true about you. So I'm going to join everybody else and say, God, I'm blessing you for blessing me by singing this back to you. It's a public profession of an inward conviction. Maybe this whole baptism thing has got me a little more messed up than normal because of the T-shirts y'all give people to get baptized. For those of you visiting, let me just tell you, they give T-shirts to people to get baptized, not because, like, uh, like you get one for the incentive. Like, they, they, they know a lot of people will come to church, and God will tell them to get baptized on Baptism Sunday, and they didn't, they didn't have plans, so they didn't bring, like, shorts, you know, and, and a T-shirt. So, so they, they have all that stuff provided and ready for people, and, and they give this T-shirt. And um, I don't know if this might, if you're from this church, you've seen it before. But the church say, no turning back. I'd never seen one until I got here. And as soon as I saw one of these, I just started getting teary-eyed last night, watching person after person from all walks of life, you know, representing the world, really just, just getting baptized with the same shirt, no turning back. Because honestly, for me, the night that I got baptized when I was 18 and two months old, it truly was. I didn't have a T-shirt, but I wish somebody would give me one. Uh, but it truly was, for me, my turning, no turning back moment. The night that I got baptized was very different than the people that are going to get baptized today. Most people that are going to get baptized today, somebody's going to buy you lunch, you know? Like, this is your baptism. Like, come on, let's, let's buy this guy dessert. Go for it. Eat the carbs. It's your baptism, you know? And it's going to be fun. Like, uh, you know, you're going to get more than a T-shirt, I promise you. You're going to get Instagrammed about, and people are going to high-five you, and the people are going to love on you today. But the night I got baptized, it was very different. My no-turning-back moment was... Uh, it was that I remember I, I'd been saved for two weeks, and I was going to go get baptized, and I, I told my mom, and my mom was just, just looking at me and confused, and I explained to her what, what was happening, and, and she was like, please don't do this. Don't embarrass the family. And my dad heard, and he came downstairs and said, what's wrong? And I said, my mom told him he's getting baptized. My dad goes, what is baptism? We're from Iran. So my dad was like, you know, you know Iranians, right? We, we own all the 7-Elevens up and down 81. That's my people. <laughs> you have to pay for this slurpee. Hubbardy, gubbardy, that's, that's my people. All right, that's my, that's my. Anyway, so my dad was like, what is baptism? And I told him, I said, Dad, you know how, like, you're married and you wear a wedding ring and it doesn't make you married, but it's like a public display of who you are? Baptism's like that. It's like, I'm going to get in this little pool. They're going to warm it up, by the way, you know, and I'm getting in there. He's like, naked? I'm like, no, not naked, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and I was like, I'm going to get in the pool, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have, like, clothes on, and then, and then a robe, and then, and then I'm going to sit in there, and they're going to dunk me in the water. And when they dunk me in for a second, it's going to represent that how I, the old me was buried, you know, like a, like a dead old, like, and then I'm raised to walk, right, in newness of life. And I was like, you can come. And my dad said, that is very public. You will embarrass us. He goes, that's it. I'll never forget the night I got baptized, my dad looked at me an hour before I got baptized, and he said, you will stop it. You will stop being a Christian. Can I ask you a question? How do you stop being a Christian? How do you turn back? And that night I went and got baptized and I came home and my dad had a duffel bag packed and nobody bought me dessert. <laughs> it was really the night where my parents said, you're dead to us. You brought shame to our family. You've been brainwashed by Christianity. And I got kicked out of the house. And so maybe that T-shirt means a little bit more to me because I just think about the night that I got baptized being that, the night that an inward conviction showed itself with an external proclamation. And it cost me something. 
That's the power of the gospel, right? The irony of all of it is that when I was nine years old, I would have been the last candidate to stand here and get teary-eyed at something like that. When I was nine years old, I was a kid who actually didn't want to have anything to do with God, certainly didn't want to publicly display what I felt about God because privately, I hated God when I was nine years old. I know most nine-year-olds don't think lofty thoughts like that. Most nine-year-olds don't wake up thinking, I hate God. Most nine-year-olds think stuff like, I don't know, should I eat this crayon? All right, but I was nine when I decided I hated God because I saw my country, Iran, destroyed by religion when I was nine. I remember those days. I remember just going through the Iranian revolution when the Ayatollah Khomeini and his religious zealots took over my country. I remember soldiers coming into our home and our army base and taking my dad out of our house and my mom screaming at the soldiers, just kill him quickly, please, just kill him quickly. My first memory ever of prayer was when, uh, my, my, when my, they took my dad out of our house in the, in the, in the midst of the revolution. And my mom, that, that moment, got our hands and began to pray. And she just kept saying out loud, just let him die quickly. Just let him die quickly. And, and I stopped her and said, what are you saying? Why are you saying that about dad? And she explained. She said, your dad's being taken to a park where they've been using this park during this revolution to take people like your dad. His, his best friend was taken yesterday to that same park. His best friend was tied to a tree. They took a pair of pliers, started with his nails, and worked their way into his intestines. It took him about seven hours to slowly pick him apart. Let's just pray right now that your dad will be killed quickly and spared a slow death. My first memory ever of prayer was praying in fear. God, if you're up there, I don't know what we've done to make you so angry, but can you just let my dad die quick? That afternoon, my dad wasn't killed. He came home, and he said, they've given me one more week, and when they come back, we're not going to be here. And I remember my mom and dad told us, as, as, all the kids, like, we're, we're going to get out of here. We're, we're escaping. He planned our escape by saying that my mom needed open-heart surgery uh, because she had these heart issues, so we, she had a bit of a track record for that. So it was helpful to feel believable, and we went in to, with these doctors that we paid. Everything that we owned, our home, our cars, everything that we owned in on, and um, you know, it was just a fabricated thing, but my mom acted like her heart was bothering her. This ambulance came and got her, and when she got to the hospital, these doctors took her to this back room and came out and said, she needs immediate bypass surgery. We don't have the technology for it right now here in Iran. And so she and the family should go for support, need to go to Switzerland right away. We bought two airline tickets, like we were going and coming back, and we got the homework assignment, like we were going and coming back, and we called in for a house sitter, but we weren't coming back. We were running for our lives. I'll never forget holding my dad's hand in the airport, and his hand just kept shaking, and he kept saying, if they find out we're escaping, they're going to kill us right here on the spot. But they didn't. And we went up in the air, and we landed in Switzerland. And as soon as we landed, the ambulance came beside the plane. And, and I'll never forget, my mom sat up and said, I don't really need this ambulance. This was all fake. I want to be instead taken to the American embassy. And we got taken there, and we pled for political asylum, which is just a fancy way of saying we wanted to become refugees. But nobody at that time was allowing Iranians into America. People were watching on TV how Iranians were burning the American flag, how we'd held 54 Americans hostage from the American embassy in Iran, how they were burning, you know, all these things and shouting all these things about America being the great Satan. And so at that time, we were from the wrong place at the wrong time trying to make it to America. And so we got stuck in Europe for nine months. 
And one day, after nine months, my mom got us together for prayer. It's my second memory ever of prayer. My mom said, I, I, I have an idea. She said, uh, since we're dying to go to America, we ought to pray to the God of America, who's this American. She showed us this picture of a white man with a beard and a mullet, kind of a, a handsome redneck, uh, Duck Dynasty-looking gentleman. And she was like, this is Jesus Christ. He's American. And um, we need to ask him to let us into his country. Some of y'all are laughing, but some of y'all are like, what's so funny? Jesus is American. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, <laughs> sir, but <laughs> Jesus is not a white Republican who's always on Hannity. You know, uh, he's, more, he's more from my neck of the woods than y'all's neck of the woods. He's more camel dynasty than, that's for free. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> so. Jesus wouldn't have gone to Bristol last night, you know what I'm saying, and gotten there early on Saturday night for the Kenny Chesney concert. I don't think our Lord would have been at the Chesney concert. He don't like short people like Kenny Chesney. Anyway, sorry, sorry. If you're short, that's good theology. Jesus doesn't, he loves you, but he doesn't he don't like you. I just want to say that to you, but anyway. My mom got us together. I'll never forget. It was so funny. She said, uh, let's pray to him and ask him to let us into his country. I know that's horrible theology. I'm just telling you what happened. We said, Jesus, please let us into your country. And a week later, the doors opened up. <laughs> so I remember coming to America and thinking, I hate religion, but hey, thanks, Jesus, for letting us in your country. And we moved to Texas, y'all. We don't go to Erangelus. We don't go to New York and buy a cab. We go to Texas. We don't just go to Texas. We go to Colleen, Texas, where the largest army base in the world is. Can you say wedgie waiting to happen, right? So I come in. I got the wrong haircut, the wrong clothes. I'm like, hello, I am David. And they're like, you are so going to get beat up today after school. And that was me. I remember going to school and hearing every nickname, every 7-Eleven joke, every turban joke, every what's the dot on the forehead, cable hookup joke. I got, I got called bean dip, and I'm not even Mexican. I was like, you're not even an accurate racist. You're just bad at being a racist. And we'd escaped halfway across the world to honestly unplug from one kind of terrorism, physical, and plug into a whole other kind, emotional. And that was me until the day my freshman year in high school was about to start. I'll never forget it. We'd been there for years. We'd actually moved from Texas and moved to Alabama. Um, <laughs> one third world for another. Sorry. And so we, we're in Alabama, and, um, and my freshman year in high school was about to start. And I'm sitting there, and I'm crying in my room, and my dad heard me. And he came in, and I told him, I said, Dad, I don't like it here. Nobody likes me. I get beat up. Uh, you know, I, I, nobody, uh, it's just it's, it's not working out for me. Like, can we just go back to Iran? And he said, you know, we can't go back, but we'd been in America long enough to know where to go when you're sad. He uh, took me to the mall. And uh, my dad <laughs> bought me clothes and got me a new haircut. And, and um, by this time, he'd made a lot of money in America. It was just kind of an American dream, uh, you know, come true kind of thing. Uh, and... Um, he takes me out and buys me a, a car, even though I was like two months away from me even getting to drive. And I go to the American high school the very next day, same insecure kid on the inside, but made over on the outside. And I instantly went from like geek to chic, baby, overnight. I mean, I went to school. I like to tell people I went from Abdul to Julio. You know what I mean? I'm just telling you, like, <laughs> by this time I'd lost my accent, but I got it back. I was like, hello, what is your name? And, and girls started talking to me. And guys started talking to me, and I just found out what you already know, that if you'll just wear the right label and have the right car, 
even if it's fabricated friendships, people will just take you in. And I just conform to the patterns of this world. High school was those years for me. High school, I learned how to play that game. I learned how to dump the right girl before she could dump me. I learned how to be cold to people to be perceived as cool. I learned how to end up at the right lunchroom table. But it's so true where it says in the Bible, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? Because at least when I was a nobody, I was David Nasser the nobody. I graduated from high school popular, but I graduated with a 1.9 GPA because <laughs> all my energy had gone into being popular. 1.9 GPA in Alabama, y'all. <laughs> you can't even go to Auburn with that. That's about as bad as it gets, right? So I had like nowhere to go. And so I hit this wall of reality and I'm pretty depressed. And fast forward two months later, one night at about midnight, I'm in the car with a buddy of mine and we're just finishing up, to be really honest, a joint together before I'm about to go in. And so while we're finishing up the joint, my buddy looks over at me and he goes, man, you're so down tonight. What's wrong with you? And I said, everybody's graduating out. All our friends are gone. I'm so down about it. I said, man, what, what are we going to do? And um, he looks over at me and he goes, well, I've got an idea. He goes, you ought to come with me tomorrow to church. And I'm surprised he's inviting me to church because he's literally handing me a joint while he's like, you ought to come with me to church. And I'm like, you go to church? And he goes, I'm a Southern Baptist. That's what he said. I'm just telling you. You would have expected, like, maybe Methodist, but not so. Anyway, so I, I'm like, really? And so he, he goes, yeah. And he goes, I go, man, bro, I'm not going to church. He goes, why? I go, because I hate church. I hate God. I want to have nothing to do with. And he goes, why? And I told him, I said, man, when I was nine, I saw religion destroy my country. I want to have nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with. And he goes, oh, man, I'm talking about like Christianity. And he names the five hottest girls in our school. And he tells me, he goes, they all go to my church. And I was like, I want to visit this church. But <laughs> the problem is, I told him, my dad's never going to let me go to a Christian church. He goes, well, go in there and ask him. And so just to get my buddy off my back, knowing my father was going to ask me, I, mean, I was going to say no, I remember I walked in, my buddy came to the door to make sure I was going to ask him, and I walked down the hallway, and I knocked on my parents' bedroom door, and I said, Mom and Dad, I'm home, I'm safe, it's midnight, I'm all good, don't get out of bed, I know you're going to say no in what I'm going to ask you, but I want to know, so, and please say it loud so, so he can hear, uh, can I go with my friend tomorrow to a Christian church? And instead of saying no, like I thought he was going to, my dad from his bed just shouts really loud. He goes, what is the name of it? And I have no idea what he's asking, but my buddy figures it out. He's, name, he's asking the name of the church, right? And so my buddy just he screams down the hallway. He goes, he goes, Shades Mountain. And as soon as he says the name Shades Mountain, my dad just immediately goes, I know those people. You can go there, but only there. What had happened was <laughs> about two weeks before I'm standing there, asking my dad to go to church, these people from this church, Shades Mountain Baptist Church, had gone to my father's restaurant. My dad had opened up a French restaurant in Birmingham. I know it's confusing. <laughs> Buy the book in the lobby. It's actually more confusing, all right? And they don't tell. But my dad owned this restaurant, and these people, about two weeks before that Saturday night, had gone to his restaurant. And while they were eating at his restaurant, one of the people that from this church was a guy named Aubrey Edwards, who was the worship minister of this church. While they were eating, they had seen how my dad was shorthanded on a busy lunch rush. And instead of complaining about the bad service that they were getting, they got up and rolled up their sleeves and waited on tables at his restaurant for about two hours. Then they went back the next day. They said they came for the soup, but they really went for him. And they served him for another three hours. And then at the end of it, Aubrey Edwards invited my Muslim military father to choir practice. And then my dad went to choir practice. Unbeknownst to any of us, 
And at the end of choir practice, Aubrey apparently put his arm around my dad and said, this is my Iranian friend. I told him that, that we would help him at his restaurant. Don't hire anybody. We got free busboys and waiters all here. And there's a piece of paper going around. Everybody sign up for a shift. And for two weeks, they'd been serving my dad for free. They called it missions. My dad called it stupid Americans. But God <laughs> was working. And God and his sovereignty had used that to massage my dad's heart, to tenderize him to the gospel, right? It's just, I'm telling you, it's just the people of grace being gracious. Never underestimate, just being nice. It's Romans 2. Kindness leads to repentance. And so my dad, instead of saying no, goes, what is the name of it? My buddy yells out the name out of 1,100 churches of the exact same people that had been helping him. My dad goes, you can go there, but only there. Sunday morning, I get up, go to church. I walk in, there's a youth rally. They tell me it's in the gym. I walk in the gym. As soon as I look across the room, I see my buddy. I see some people. I'm like, I thought this was going to be different. I know these people are not religious because I went out with her, and she is not a Christian. And so I walked over. My friends, every other word out of my mouth was a cuss word, and they're, like, acting really different. They're all saying, bless you. Nobody's sneezing. And within five minutes, they're embarrassed to be standing next to the kid who doesn't know how to play church culture. So they're as far away from me in the room as can be. So I go by myself, and I sit in the front row. And as soon as I sat down, I looked up, and I saw Larry No. Larry No didn't go to my high school. He went to a rival high school, but he was a football stud that everybody knew as, as number one, a kid that was going to go get a scholarship somewhere and play big time, and also as somebody who witnessed to anything with a pulse. And he had walked up to me about a year before that and tried to talk to me and my girlfriend at a party about God, and he had told us that God so loved us that he gave his one and only son that if we believed in him, we would not perish but have eternal life. And I wasn't really listening, but my girlfriend let go of my hand and went, mm which is like short for amen. And I realized he was getting to her and I didn't want him getting to her because I had plans for her. <laughs> and so I became really rude and aggressive and he finally shook his head and walked away. And a year later, y'all, I'm sitting at his church and he's just kind of oompa lumping towards me, you know, this big old linebacker. And he goes, I remember you. That's exactly what I was afraid. I was like, you're Larry No. He goes, he goes, I'm so glad you're here. And he gives me the opposite of what I deserve. He was just nice. He sits down beside me the youth pastor says, get out your Bibles. And I didn't have a Bible. I hadn't been to the hotels yet to get one from the Gideons or whatever. So I felt out of the culture. And then I looked, and on my lap, Larry had opened up his Bible and placed it on my lap so I wouldn't feel left out. I just felt welcome. And when the Sunday school lesson was over, Larry looks at me and he goes, I got to tell you, I didn't listen to one thing that guy was teaching. All I kept thinking about is how you guys brought you here. I said, I didn't listen to one thing that guy was teaching either. All I kept thinking about is, why are you being nice to me? He goes, are you kidding me, man? I'm so glad you're here. He goes, you got to come back tonight. We got this youth rally tonight. And I was just full of pride. So I was like, I got stuff to do. You know what he said? He goes, that's cool. We'll come see you. And I had no idea what he meant. But they had this thing called visitation. <laughs> and the next night, Monday night, 17 teenagers showed up at my house. Can we come in for a few minutes? And they lied. Because three hours later, they were still going through every bead in their little color bead bracelet. <laughs> and they explained to me. They explained to me that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one could come to the Father but by him. How God was real, and I was real, but my sin was real, and my sin separated me from a perfect, holy God. And how Jesus came to pay the penalty for that sin barrier. How Jesus came and lived a perfect life, then died a sinner's death, then was put in a tomb after he died on the cross. But that death couldn't hold him, that tomb couldn't hold him, because his resurrection power was afforded to me. And when they got done with their pitch, and it was a good pitch and they said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? I just laughed and said, not going to happen. 
And on their way out, as I was showing them the door, one of them did quietly say, see you next week. And I know what he meant, but for the next eight Monday nights in a row, I'm not kidding you, we were the Iranians, but we got terrorized by a youth group on crack. <laughs> Hide, the Christians are coming, the Christians are coming. And every Monday night they would come, and I'm going to tell you, every Monday night they would share the gospel. Different verse, same truth. Every Monday night they'd come in, and one night it'd be, um, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's break that down. They would use sugar packets. They would use whatever to explain the gospel. They'd go through the Roman road, and they kept telling me that, that David, I know you hate religion. So do we. We hate it because it's the biggest barrier in what, what we're trying to say to you. And they kept telling me, we're not interested in you becoming religious. We're interested in you becoming his. Redemption is very different than religion. And I would hear that, and I would just laugh, and I would not listen. And, and every time their church doors opened for the next two, eight weeks, on Wednesdays and on Sundays, they would come to my house and drag me to their church. I, I say drag me. I wanted to go. And one night... Their preacher was preaching on a Sunday night service. Their preacher wasn't like your preacher, like he's cool. You know, like th that preacher was anointed, but I like to call him annoyingly anointed. He was not cool. He had a comb over, King James only, sweating in places that God has not put glands. I mean, it was just crazy. And, and, and he was just preaching. And, and, and I remember he was like, if you need to come to Christ, you need to come right here. And people were getting up and they were coming down and people were getting saved. And I just remember thinking, all my life I've been terrorized by religion. And now some guy's trying to scare me down an aisle. And so during the invitation, I hit the aisle, but instead of hitting the aisle and coming forward, I hit the aisle and I thought, I'm going to get out of here as fast as I can. And I got in my car and I thought, they're getting to me. I'm not coming back. I'm not letting them in my house. And as soon as I got in my house, the presence of God was stronger in my house than it was in that church building. It's like the psalmist says in Psalm 139 where he says, where can I go from your presence, O Lord? If I go to the mountains, you are there. If I go to the valleys, you are there. I walked in my house. My parents were out of town that night. As soon as I walked in, I saw a stack of Bibles in my room because these Christians kept bringing me Bibles. I had every version, NIV, ESV, New Kim, uh, Precious Moments. I had a, they just kept bringing me. And so I remember I, I took the very top Bible and I thought, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show God. If this is how God speaks, I'm going to show God he can't get a hold of me. And I went to my backyard. I opened up the barbecue grill. I put the Bible there. I poured charcoal fluid all over it. And I thought, I'm going to burn this thing and show God. Symbolically, he, I'm done. But I couldn't find one match in the house. So I just started reading it. People always ask me, why did you go from like burning it to reading it? I'm just telling you, it was just the work of the Spirit. So I started reading it, and it was boring because I didn't love the author of the book. So I didn't love the book. But I kept flipping through it, and then God's Word that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, it says in Hebrews, and cuts through bone and marrow and judges the attitudes of life, just cut right through me. It was almost like God had handed, you know, my particular Bible a sticky note about David Nasser. It had my number. And that night, I was 18 and two months old, right around midnight, when I finally realized, man, these people are not interested in, again, me becoming, I can hate religion and love Jesus. And I gave my life to Christ that night. And about two hours later, my parents came home. And if you ask my dad about it, he'll tell you. He said, I will never forget that night. We came in the house. We could hear him crying. We walk in his bedroom. His face was on the carpet. He kept screaming, I love him. And I thought, what is this? And I told him, I said, Dad, I love Jesus Christ. And my dad hit, a, hit the roof. I'd never seen my parents that devout as Muslims until the night I got saved. All of a sudden, they were like, you're Muslim. I was like, we are? 
And they thought, it's just the stage. I, I, I'm sure they went in their room and they said, you know what, it's just the stage. He's got a tennis racket because he wanted to be Andre Agassi and all the tennis camps never panned out. He's got a surfboard even though we live four and a half hours away from any body of water. Let him have a Bible and he'll get over it. But they didn't realize when you truly get saved, it's not like a little cold that you catch and it goes away. It's a new you. And two weeks later was the night that I was getting baptized. That's the night I was telling you about a little while ago when my mom was like, don't do this, don't embarrass us. My dad comes down, it all just goes down. My dad's like, don't get, and I leave and I go get baptized and I come home and my dad said I was dead to him. He said I was no longer his son. He kicked me out of the house. And I moved in with six guys that lived in a one-bedroom apartment, and we ate ramen noodles every day. And I went to couch, because I didn't even have a bedroom, but I'd never been more rich. And five months, five months after I became a Christian, one day my sister called me, four years older than me. She called me crying, and her campus crusade director had led her to the Lord in her college. And five months after that, my mom, the one who was saying, don't do this, you've been brainwashed by Christians. The night I was going to get baptized, she calls me. She's screaming on the phone. Tonight, I become a Christian. I'm like, why are you screaming? She's like, I want your father to hear because he's no kicking me. No, this is my house. I'm like, okay. And my mom got sick. And then my mom, my mom led my brother Benjamin, who's Down syndrome, to the Lord. Fast forward five months later, because I was like, God's on a five-month clock. I thought my dad's going to get saved. My dad did not get saved. My dad was angry because my mom was putting Bible verses in his food and his Rogaine, everything. <laughs> and two and a half years later, two and a half years later, in God's perfect timing, God saved my dad. And one by one, one by one, I've seen my family come to Christ. And one by one, I've had the chance of seeing my family be baptized. Because an inward conviction always plays itself out with an external, you know, proclamation. My, my dad got to name his first grandkid Emmanuel. Do you know what that means when you send that picture to Iran? He called me yesterday. David, he's, he's, his hearing's bad because... Uh, because he was a helicopter pilot for years and should have worn stuff and he didn't protect his ears. And so when you talk to my dad, half the conversation is like, <laughs> you know, with the hearing gates. And so he calls me. He's like, hello. I'm like, Papa, where are you? Knoxville. Knoxville? Yes, Knoxville. Gatlinburg. I'm like, yes, Gatlinburg. <laughs> and they have, he later said, they have like 40 cracker barrel just in Gatlinburg. I'm like, I know that. They, why they need 40 Cracker Barrel? I'm like, what do you need, Papa? You know, and he's like, this, this phone is junk. Because he can't figure out an iPhone right now, you know. So, and he, he just starts like, he, he, he cusses, but it's out of context. It's just weird. I'm not going to say it, but pray for him. Anyway, so God saved his heart, but it's working its way up. To, anyway, so he says some things about his iPhone. And then at the end of it, he was like, can you fix it? I'm like, I'm in Knoxville. He goes, oh, you preach in Knoxville. I was like, yeah. And, and his last thing was, I pray for you. And I just thought, I thought, that's so cool. Like, like my dad is literally this, this morning, last night, praying for you. For you to get saved. It's just crazy to me. Like, I know you're here now. Like, so what? Somebody's praying for me. No, my used-to-be Muslim father is praying for some country boys and country girls from Knoxville to come to Christ. And people always hear my story, and they always go, boy, it must have been tough for an Iranian family to get saved. And I go, not half as tough as it is for good people that aren't saved people. They go to good churches.
My wife was that way. My wife grew up in the church, was Bible drill champion, was on the pastor search committee when she was 16 and everybody else was 50, all right? And my wife was good and she was moral and she had a counselor badge on. The night she walked down an aisle, took off her counselor badge and said, I've got a lot of religion, but I don't know Christ as my Lord. She was 18 when she got saved out of religion. I was 18 when I got saved out of redemption, but we both had to meet at the foot of the cross. People always hear my story and they go, boy, it must have been tough. And I always go, you know what the tougher thing is? The tougher thing is like the last service we were just in where I saw like a guy in his 50s, a good guy, get up and say, I'm a good guy, but honestly, I'm not God's man. And I think God, maybe even this morning in all of our campuses has brought us to this little moment where it's weird, right? That on 9-11, God would bring an Iranian from the Middle East to the buckle of the Bible belt to ask you, are you saved? Not, not, not do you go to church, not do you sing Christian songs, not do you tithe once in a while, not do you agree with everything I'm saying up here. Do you belong to him wholeheartedly in here? An inward conviction that's displaying itself with an outward expression. Can I get you just wherever you are just to bow your heads with me? With your heads bowed, can I just ask you, like, what we do when we bow our heads, by the way, is we, we get away from distractions and um, we, spiritually speaking, put a mirror in front of ourselves. And so spiritually, with a mirror in front of you, can I just ask you wherever you are in this very moment just to, to search your heart? I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm not asking you, have you ever prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you, honestly, have you even been ever baptized? As much as that's an awesome thing and we want to celebrate that in a minute, I'm asking you, do you belong to Christ, all of you? Not just your heart, all of you. The heart's just the front door, but he doesn't just hang out at the foyer. All of you, every bit of you belongs to him. Is that true? Could it be that, that this morning you, you hear my testimony and you go, man, Dave, I've got, I once was lost, but then I go to church, or I once was lost, but I've never really given my entire life to be found in Christ. If that's you, it might be that God has, at this very moment, at this very day, called this day, this 9-11, to be your homecoming. I really believe that. We've seen it service after service, where God, where God has spoken to people that are, that are come to church and were actually available enough to God to put away pride, put away religion, and say, it's not that I've been living a lie. It's just that I'm willing to come to truth. See, truth is not a philosophy. It's not a theology. Truth is a person. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So with nobody looking, if anybody's here in any of our services and you're saying, baby, will you pray for me? I need to ask Christ to come into my life, to step out of heaven, to step into my life, to, to come inside every facet of who I am. I need to ask Jesus to be my Lord my Savior. I'm a sinner. I can't earn it on my own. I am saved by works, but by His works alone. I trust Him for everything. If that's who you are, just wherever you are, wherever you are at this moment, will you just lift your hand and just wave it at me and put it back down? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? In the back, in the front? Praise God. Some of you are going, man, I'm looking around. If my friends will lift their hand or if my husband will lift his hand, I'll quit asking other people into your heart. What is God saying in you right now? Anybody else? Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? David, will you pray for me? I need to ask right now Christ to come and be my all in all. No turning back. 
Some of you need to turn back from religion. Some of you need to turn back from rebellion. You need to come to redemption found in Christ alone. Christianity is not about bad people becoming good. I know there's a lot of good people here today that need to be saved because Christianity is about dead people becoming alive. Anybody else? And I can't let the super glue of fear, the super glue of religion, of good intentions keeping me any longer from saying there's a public profession of faith right now. Christ, come in be my all in all. Just lift your hand. Wave it at me and put it back down. I'm telling you, there are dads here, good dads. You're trying to do the best you can to provide, but there's only so much you can do as a dad until you come to Christ. I'm telling you, some of you are trying to deal with the symptoms of what you think is broken with your marriage. You can get in a nicer house, get a nicer car, put your kids in a better school, but all you're going to do is troubleshoot symptoms until you come to Christ. And he heals the very thing that's causing all the symptoms of what's broken. How about it? Anybody else? Amen. Maybe you're like my wife was. Every time you come to these moments, you just keep cleaning up an act that this never really belonged to him in the first place. No more coats of paint on the outside of something that's never truly belonged to him on the inside. Anybody else? Just lift your hand, wave it at me, and put it back down. Okay? Praise God. Anybody else? You go in a couple more seconds and I'm going to win. You're going to win what? Another day in doubt? Softest pillow you could lay your head on today would be saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Knowing it's well with your soul. Anybody else? David, do I have to lift my hand? You don't, by the way. It'd be just as real if you don't lift your hand. But, but again, an inward conviction made public is right in alignment with the way Jesus did it. Jesus always called people in the Bible publicly and what he was doing in them privately, intimately. One last time, anybody else? I'm not ashamed to say this is that moment. This is my homecoming. I'm all in, God. Just lift your hand. Wave it at me. I want to see who you are so I can pray with you. Okay. Many of you this morning lifting your hand for that. Thanks for the transparency, the honesty. Thanks for coming to church and actually being moldable, not having made up your mind, being available. I do want to say one thing that's not nearly as important as that, but I do want to say that some of you today, as we're celebrating baptism, come here and you're saying, David, I already know the Lord, but I've never truly taken that step of public profession. And I want to, I want to challenge you today to celebrate with us what God did in you by being public in baptism. Consider that right now. Some of you were baptized when you were a kid, like my wife was, but then you got saved later on in life, and now it's out of order. And today God is saying to you, it's time for you to celebrate that with people around you. It's time for you to be baptized. If that's you and you're saying, David, I'm already saved, but man, I, I, I sense today that I want to put that shirt on and, and I want to get in, I want to get baptized as just a, a, a way to say, God, God, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to let people around me know that you've done that inward in my life. If that's you, will you just lift your hand? Anybody here today? And I'm, I'm completely, that wasn't on my roster, but I'm completely like thinking, amen. That's what God's calling me to do today. It's a humbling thing, by the way. I love it because we don't just have pride in the South. We have Southern pride. And people think, man, I want to be my own man. I want to be my own woman. We'll never be, we'll never be as strong as we need to be until we belong to Christ. And we're willing to make him known. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Let's stand together. 
Can I just say this to you? Look at me. In all of our services, we stand together. Many of you lifted your hand about salvation. Several of you lifted your hand about baptism in the right order of your salvation. And every one of you that had your hand up, I'm going to count to three like Pastor always does. And when I get to three, on, on three, I want us to celebrate as you get out of your seat and go to the back. Come on. One, two, three. Come on. Step out if you lifted your hand. Step out and go to the back. Come on. If you lifted your hand for salvation or for baptism, will you just make it to the nearest aisle and go to the back? We got somebody that wants to hug your neck wants to welcome you home, wants to celebrate with you this public profession of an inward conviction. Amen? Come on. Come on. Anybody else? Do I have to get out of my seat? You don't, but why would you not want to be public in a place where people are going to celebrate with you? They're going to welcome you home. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come on. Anybody else? And David, I... What's it cost me? It, it, it costs you your pride. It costs you, it's a declaration of dependence. Anybody else? Anybody else? Hey, the invitation is the next three songs, okay? So let's worship together. Come on. And if you just sense that God's calling you, you just step out and make your way to the back because our team would love to just talk to you. Come on, let's go after God and sing it.